Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. Okay, hello everyone, and welcome to the final installment of our Summer in the Psalms series. My name is Will, and on Sundays, I'm often to be found in the back room over there, hiding behind an array of technology. But this morning, I've been let loose at the front to talk to you about Psalms 42 and 43. Now, you might be wondering why I'm talking about two Psalms today. Everyone else only got to pick one. In fact, I've already been asked this by one concerned member of the church already this morning. Um, Well, that's because Psalms 42 and 43 really come as a package deal. They share the same poetic structure, and together they tell one complete story. In fact, in many of the Hebrew texts, they are printed as just one psalm, so I'll be treating them as one today. So, a bit of background. Psalm 42 basically marks the start of a different section of the book of Psalms. In fact, in your Bibles, it may well preface the psalm with a book two heading. This second book is often referred to as the Elohistic Psalter, uh, Psalter meaning book of Psalms, so-called because the psalms within it frequently refer to God with the Hebrew word Elohim rather than Yahweh. Now, I'm not just pointing this out to try and jam in some fancy-sounding terms early doors. These are important distinctions for us this morning. When God is first introduced in Genesis 1, he is referred to as Elohim, which is a general name for God, often associated with his creative powers. Yahweh is the more personal name for God, revealed later to Moses and often used in the context of God's relationship with us. I'll be coming back to this distinction later, but for now, just keep in mind that it's Elohim that's mostly referred to here. Now, under the banner of Psalm 42, Like a lot of the others in this run of psalms, you'll see a subheading that reads, for the director of music, a maskil of the sons of Korah. So these psalms were written to be set to music. Maskil is a word of uncertain meaning, but it's used in the psalms to refer to poems or songs. So it's a musical term as well. As for the sons of Korah, they were a group of worship leaders appointed by King David, and they held a kind of residency in Jerusalem sort of like an early version of the Elvis Las Vegas residency, but with fewer white jumpsuits and sort of towering quiffs. Um, If we were using the language of poetry, we'd say that these psalms are structured in three long stanzas, each ending with the same repeated refrain. Or, in more modern musical terms, they go verse, chorus, verse, chorus. So, a piece of poetry with verse, chorus structure written by a group of worship leaders. Maybe you're thinking, hmm, this sounds a bit like a worship song. Well, I'm glad you're thinking that, because that's pretty much what it is, and how we're going to approach it this morning, as a piece of worship, of art, of creativity. So, with that in mind, we're going to have a look together at what the psalmist is saying here, how they're saying it, and how we can respond and follow in their footsteps. Now, in 2011, researchers in California conducted a study on plot spoilers. Apparently there was nothing more important to be studying in that year. They found that telling people how a film ended significantly increased the viewer's enjoyment of that film. Like by by 10% on average, it's huge. So, 
I am going to make this preach instantly 10% better by giving away the ending. What I want us to take away from this psalm is two words, authenticity and creativity. So, now that I've built some solid hype for this psalm, let's read it and start looking at these aspects for ourselves. They're going to come up here. Psalms 42 and 43. This is the NIV translation. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one. With shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me, Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Okay, so what is the psalmist saying here? Well, he's pouring his soul out. That's a direct quote from Psalm 42, verse 4. This is someone who is at their wit's end. They are downtrodden, disheartened, and disillusioned. And uh, keen-eyed observers can now cross alliteration of your preach bingo cards. Um, The psalmist here is in deep distress. He says, my tears have been my food day and night, that his bones suffer mortal agony. Why is this? Well, it's a couple of different things, but I think we can group them together into this. Distance. Distance from God and distance from community. The psalmist feels distanced from God, feels neglected by him. Why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? He feels in exile. Now, some biblical scholars have suggested that this is a real physical exile, that the psalm was written by the sons of Korah during the time that David was driven out of Jerusalem by his son Absalom, who was plotting to overthrow him. 
Whether or not this psalm was written in literal exile is an interesting question of historical context, but either way, I don't think it matters too much to us this morning. That's because in the context of the psalm, of this piece of art, it becomes a powerful symbol either way, something much more universal. Very few of us have probably been driven hundreds of miles from home by a revolutionary offspring, but this feeling of distance from God can be felt universally by all of us. How many of us have felt like that at one time or another? That I'm over here and God is way over there. That I used to feel the presence of God so strongly, so why don't I anymore? Maybe we've fallen out of the rhythms of church or prayer or worship. It's easy to sleepwalk into a place where God feels far away. This leaves the psalmist feeling spiritually dry, just as the deer that is panting for water in verse 1. Maybe that also sounds familiar to some of us. So, this psalm captures the feeling that can be universally felt by all of us at different stages of our walk with God, spiritual distance. But it's not just distance from God that has the psalmist feeling so disheartened. It's also distance from community. When the psalmist used to go to the house of the Lord, it wasn't alone, but with shouts of joy among the festive throng. One of the reasons why the psalmist is in mortal agony is because they're surrounded by these taunting foes. They are isolated in an unfaithful nation. The psalmist feels separated from their brothers and sisters in faith, which makes the feeling of dryness and disillusionment all the more powerful. He has nobody to share those feelings with day to day, to pray with about them, to encourage him in following the Lord. When we take ourselves out of community or are removed from it, faith can be so much harder to sustain. This is one of the reasons we're called to live in community with one another. It's for our own flourishing. So, we've established that the psalmist is feeling hurt. In fact, I've probably established it so much at this point that it's starting to feel like a bit of a bummer. But that's only half the story here. Because alongside all these valid feelings of hurt and distance, the constant refrain of the psalm, the chorus of the song, is... Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Despite everything, the psalmist is still putting their trust and hope in God. He is saying that despite his circumstances, the dryness that he is feeling, he still wants to turn to God and praise him. And because of this remembrance, the psalm actually ends really hopefully. The psalmist is looking forward to coming to the altar of God, to God my joy and my delight, so that he can praise God with music. This is quite the change. A minute ago, he was lost in despair. How has he pulled off this radical about turn? Well, in the midst of this negative headspace, right where he could start really spiraling down, the psalmist is able to step outside of himself, take a more objective view, and praise God. The psalmist can't control some of the feelings he is feeling, but he can direct his response. And what is that response? He turns those feelings into creativity. He turns those feelings into words, a psalm, a piece of art to glorify God. And this act makes sense in our own experience, I think. Creativity is cathartic. That's why art and music therapy are so powerful. The psalmist isn't wallowing in these feelings. He isn't doing shoegaze. He's using creativity as a channel for turning his mind back to God turning that hurt into praise. Now, this, of course, comes with a caveat. 
Mental health is a really complex topic, and I'm not saying it's on you who might be suffering to pull yourself out of it. What I am saying is that the psalmist here shows us an example of how our negative feelings can be turned around. So, we've looked a bit about what the psalmist is feeling here, what he's saying through this psalm, both to us and to God. He's hurting, despairing, just as we do at times. He's feeling disconnected and distanced from God and his community of believers. But he's able to use creativity as a way to break out of this mode of thinking long enough to give praise to God in those recurring choruses. So that's how he feels. How does he express it? I think that one of the things that strikes me most, and it's present throughout the Psalms actually, is how raw and real, how authentic the feeling is here. The psalmist isn't shying away from what they're feeling. He's not presenting a watered-down or diluted version of his feelings to God. He's not leaving some things out that he thinks maybe God doesn't want to hear. And if we're to follow the psalmist's example, this is such a great invitation for us to do the same. Have there ever been times when you have held things back from God, afraid to voice them to him? Or times you felt you needed to suppress something of your feelings, to come to him at your best or on your best behavior? That is not what the psalmist is doing here. He's turning to God in the midst of the hurt and with the full force of his feeling. And why not? If we believe in the God of the Bible, who knows all, then why try to hide anything from him anyway? If we think we can hide things from God, maybe we should reconsider who we know God to be. And this authenticity is also really important because of what the psalmist has done with his feelings, which is to make them into an act of worship, into art. This psalm is beautiful. Its language is beautiful. It's full of contradiction and emotion and authenticity and truth because that's what our experience of life is like. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My tears have been my food day and night. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. There is beauty here in the words being used in the pictures being painted, but also in the emotions being expressed. I think it's no surprise that some of the most beautiful lines in this psalm are some of the saddest, or that so much beautiful art comes from pain. Maybe this should be a sign to us that creativity is a worthwhile response to feelings like this. The beauty that the psalmist has brought from those feelings, that's what connects me with God here. Now, music, all music, is very important to me. That's not just worship music, which I love, but all kinds of music. Anyone who has lived with me or spent more than about five minutes in my home can tell you that I have music playing pretty much 24-7. I love it. I love listening to new artists, finding new ones, um, listening to favorite ones, whatever. And a few years ago, when I was first looking into faith, first thinking about becoming a Christian, there was a period of time where it felt like every new artist I discovered had some kind of Christian connection. This was completely secular music. They were either Christian, used to be, were questioning their upbringing, railing against it, whatever it was. But no matter what they were singing about, the authenticity of the feeling in those songs brought me closer to God. God was in those songs, and I think he was working through them. And that continues to this day. It's not necessarily that I'm seeking out God in secular music or film, but that's often where I find him authentic creativity that tells us something about ourselves and our lives also tells us something about God, 
just as Psalm 42 does. He is there in the beauty of creativity, whether it was made explicitly for him or not. This is because creativity itself is God-breathed. Our God is a creator God. He is the most powerful creative force in the universe. In fact, Eugene Peterson has pointed out that in the Old Testament, whenever the word create is used, it is always God doing the creating. He is the only creator. The only reason we can create is because that's part of his nature. We are created in his image, so when we create, we are acting out the identity that he has given us. We are being images of the creator God. We are answering his call to create as he does. This is exactly what the psalmist is doing, turning his suffering into a piece of worship, of creativity, a song, an actual thing. And that making of the thing itself is an act of worship to God because it's a celebration of the identity that we have in him. Now, as I said at the start, this psalm is the beginning of the Elohistic Psalter, where God is referred to mostly as Elohim rather than Yahweh. Elohim, as we've already talked about, recalls the creator God of Genesis 1. Now, in this psalm, the psalmist uses that name Elohim 20 times, and Yahweh only once. The psalmist here is invoking that creator side of God as he is writing, claiming his own role in that identity. When we think of worship as a creative act, it not only brings us closer to God in spirit as we turn ourselves towards him, but also in nature as we embrace the creativity that he's given us. So, now we've talked about what the psalmist is feeling here, and we've talked about how he's expressing it. So how can we respond to this? Well, as I revealed way back at the start, I'd like to call us to respond in two main ways, in authenticity and in creativity. Firstly, in authenticity with God. The psalmist pours their whole self to God here and doesn't hide anything away. I'm not saying that every conversation we have with God needs to be this dramatic, but I think we should approach our prayer life and our worship with this spirit. We shouldn't be afraid to really wrestle with God, to question him, to express our disappointments and grievances in an unvarnished way, just as the psalmist does. And I think it's no surprise that in this Summer in the Psalm series, us as preachers have tended to choose psalms that deal with suffering and difficult times, with distance. You might remember a few weeks ago that David, our David, preached on this psalm's next-door neighbor, Psalm 44, which talks about very similar feelings to this. Why is this? Maybe it's because we're all searching for more authenticity in our faith experience, in our journey with God. And if many of us are feeling the same way, it's an amazing opportunity to come together and share those feelings to strengthen each other in faith. Now, when it comes to creativity, it's maybe a little bit more challenging to articulate. I'm not going to prescribe or set out what creativity needs to look like in our daily lives. I'm not trying to say we should all go out and write five worship songs and perform them here next Sunday, which SP is probably relieved to hear. But the invitation into creativity is here in this psalm. The psalmist is showing us the power of it as a tool of authenticity before God, as a way of channeling our feelings into worship and praise, and as a cathartic experience. The psalmist is setting an example for us of what to do when we feel this distance from God when we feel this distance from community, when we feel disheartened, he's showing us that turning that into creativity brings us closer to God and allows us to step further into the identity that we have within him. To be creative is to be authentic. That's why it can be so exposing to present something you've created. 
because it comes from our authentic selves. God is the ultimate creator, the ultimate creative. Contrary to popular belief, creativity creativity doesn't come from Dalston or Hackney or Hollywood. It comes from Elohim. And that means that it lives in us as well. Now, I'm going to invite the band back up as we get ready to respond fully to this. But everyone in this room is coming in with different levels of free time, of responsibilities, with different interests and passions, and that's fine. Creativity can look different to every single one of us. Sing a song, make a journal entry, make a journal for your journal entries, cook a delicious meal, no matter what it looks like. Let's use our creativity, this great gift we've been given. We might find, as the psalmist does, that it's an amazing outlet, an exercise in recentering our focus on God, in bridging that distance we can sometimes feel. This is part of our identity. We are all images of God. So let's image him and create. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.